independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www. Brainwaves hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5 p.m. for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information, and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Welcome, listeners, to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM on the dial. On the show today, we have Sandy Jeffs who will be talking about her poultry and experiences with mental illness. Interviewing her will be Mark and Shannon. Welcome all. Thank you. Well, welcome, Sandy. Uh, look, I just wanted to, to start just by asking, uh, you were diagnosed in 1976, and uh, I was just keen uh, just to find out, you know, what was uh, the support around at that time versus, you know, what the changes you've seen since? Well, Mark, thanks for having me. Look, as I recall, back in 1976, a diagnosis of schizophrenia was tantamount to a death sentence. And uh, it really was a long stay in a big psychiatric hospital, which was then called La Rundle, and you'd be there for weeks and months. And on discharge, I don't recall much happening. Like you were discharged to your friends. You might go back to the hospital for a day hospital or you might go back to see a psychiatrist occasionally. I used to go back for Medicaid injections once a month to our Larundel. But really the supports around were barely anything, nothing. And there was no schizophrenia fellowship or mental illness fellowship then. There was no SANE. There was no NEMI. There were, there were no NGOs around at that time which were helping the mentally ill that I can recall or ever using. So really it was like being on your Pat Malone. And also one felt like one was on the scrap heap of society because you had this diagnosis that was just hideous. Uh, it was also said to me that with each episode I had, I would go further into madness from which I would never recover. So there were, the prognosis was hideously poor and they really gave me no future and no and hope. What changes have you seen since then? What changes have I seen? Look, we closed La Rundle. We've closed the big madhouses and that was fine because they were places that were, well, they were compromised. And on the one hand, they were hell holes. On the other hand, they were places of sanctuary for some people. So we closed La Rundle and we had this model called care in the community. Now, it, it seems to, to me that they assumed that the community wanted to care. And I had this awful feeling that the community doesn't really care about the mentally ill. So care in the community means that we have um, psychiatric wards in, in general hospitals. Uh, they, well, people hate them. People hate going to them. They find them places of absolute despair. And all the staff ever see are people who are sick, hardly ever getting better. So they discharge people from these wards who are mad because someone madder needs their bed. Now, is that a good outcome? I have to ask, is that a good outcome? We do have NGOs, though, like the Mental Illness Fellowship and NEMI and MIND and all these places and each, um, who are offering services to people, and that's good, but it's too, there are too many cracks that people fall through, and it's too easy to fall through the cracks. And I have to say, um, I'm not sure that closing the big madhouses has been the, the best thing we could have done because I think we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So, Sandy, I guess that's when you found poetry. And um, how did that help you? 
Well, Shannon, what happened was I went crazy and I, and I had this time in hospital and uh, and I had many episodes after that as well. I, I had a chronic condition and I sort of wasn't doing anything in my life and I'd lost my identity. Nothing was happening. My friends were getting on with their careers and I was going nowhere. And I started documenting my madness in poetry. And that was, for me, a little bit of purpose and meaning in my life. When, when I wasn't doing much in a day, if I wrote a poem... I could see at the end of the day the poem on the paper written before me in black and white and it was evidence that I had achieved something for that day and that was for me a little bit of purpose and meaning and so I kept doing it. I kept writing poetry, uh, documenting my madness and by 1993 when I turned 40 I had enough poems for a collection of poetry and, and Susan Hawthorne at Spinifex Press said I would like to publish your poetry. And that, for me, changed my life in ways I couldn't have calculated or imagined. Fantastic. Um, what I'd like to ask is how your writing is different depending on your state of mind at the time. Oh, interesting question. Um, I used to always write when I was sort of down and a bit depressed and stuff, and, you know, and, and it was really it was very um, therapeutic and cathartic, I suppose. And, it, and, and often the poems weren't that good. But now I find writing is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to do, to feel creative. I need to feel creative and to have that creative capacity is for me life-giving and and sustaining. So um, I don't write now when I'm just depressed. I write in all sorts of moods. I write when I'm manic. I write when I'm excited. I write when I'm down or happy, all sorts of moods. And, And for actually for the last three or four years, I've had poetry pouring out of me like um, a tap had been turned on and a water's pouring out. Well, the poems were pouring out of me and life was just one big, continuous, ongoing, unfinished poem. And I just had to, had to document all my stuff in poetry. And that's how these two new collections have come about. Sandy, you've written a lot of books. Um, when, what, uh, you know, you, you wrote uh, your first book when? What, what well, year? the first one was published in 1993. So I was 40 and life began at 40 right. in a big way. And since then, I've now, I've now had just had book number seven and number eight published. So I've had seven books of poetry published and a memoir. I wrote my story, the story of my life, and it was published in a memoir, Flying with Paper Wings. Okay. Yeah. And you brought in a couple today, and I think we're going to be uh, lucky enough for us. Uh, you're going to read out uh, some I, of them for us? I did. I brought in my two new books. Um, I'm reading from the Mad Poets Tea Party. It's um, The Mad Poets Tea Party are, really is a further exploration of my madness. I, I've kept exploring it since the first book, Poems in the Madhouse. Um, I've kept writing about madness in prose and poetry. It's been my ongoing theme I can't get away from it because I I'm mad and I have to explore it so I'm going to read a poem called medicated because I was lying in bed one night and I thought I was ligactled and suddenly all the drugs that I had taken over the years from Lorundal to uh, onwards became verbs and this poem emerged and I've been on all these drugs at some time I'm sure I've forgotten some but it's called medicated roll up roll up Join me on the medication trolley. <clears throat> I've been on it for years. I was ligactled with bitter syrup. I was pimazided and malaruled and numbed. I was so stelazine, <clears throat> I was like a cat on a hot tin roof. I've been modicated into a shuffle and clozapined into a stupor. I was serenaced to drowsiness and abilified to sleeplessness. When I was risperidoned, I lactated like a cow. They cogented me to stop the look-ups, but I kept looking up. 
I was lithiumed and epilimed to even my pendulum. I've been imipramined, prothiodined, lexaprode, effexored and zolofted to happiness. I was valiumed and atavanned into tranquility. At bedtime, I was mogadoned, stillnoxed and tomazepamed to slumberland. Now I'm zyprexed and ravenous and fuzzled. I'm lamotrigined and balanced and Sarah quelled. Yes, indeedy. I'm medicated and dedicated to the medication trolley. Here's looking at you, pill bottles. That's fantastic. Well done. I had to write that because I, it just sort of came to me. And I, what a good idea, I, th- I thought to myself. But uh, I have been on all those drugs at some stage. I'm still on taking medications and I do engage with psychiatry. But, you know, it, uh, it has its own problems, as, as we know. It's not the most um, – it hasn't been the most uh, – what, what, uh, what can we say? The most edifying of all the medical professions for a lot of the time. It's had its history of um, dark times and doing some dodgy things to people in the name of medicine. Um, Sandy, you've got some very interesting artwork on your books, on the cover of your books, and just wondering what made you choose that particular artwork. I have. Well, the Mad Poets Tea Party has a um, a picture by John Blackman called Feet Beneath the Table. It's from his um, sequence of Alice in Lorundalan. Se- uh, yeah, sorry, Alice in Wonderland sequences, and there's poems. There's a poem in my, in my book called Alice in Lorundal Land, which is about um, Lorundal, um, uh, named after a pantomime that was performed there in 1978 by staff, by written by Len Blair, the chaplain. So it's a, it's a great cover. It's quite beautiful and it's very pertinent to the book. And the other book, Chiaroscuro, has an artwork by my friend Veronica Holland who painted me in her Brett Whiteley-esque way. And so it's a picture of me playing the violin with all my things that I love, my books and animals and discussion group and, you know, cats. And she's got a circus tent in the background because she thinks I'm a circus. And you're going to read uh, The Evangelist from that book? I'm going to read The Evangelist. It's my take on modernity, shall we say. It's uh, yeah, my, my thing on, on modernity. It's called The Evangelist. A bloke walks on water. It was slight of foot. A televangelist caught it on camera and broadcasted on his syndicated program. It rated its socks off. His fameometer is off the scale. He's a celebrity with integrity messiah, the darling of the prosperity gospel folk. I don't believe in him. He's a holy high roller, a holy con, holy ghost, holy trinity, holy spirit, Holy Moses, holy Toledo, holy calamity, holy smoke, holy cow, holy shit. Every religion has a second coming. Steve Jobs will be resurrected by Apple in a new product called iCyborg. Worshippers will genuflect in front of him before buying the latest iPad, iPhone, iMac, iPod. Oh, lordy, lordy, praise the high priest of IT who walks on water. <laughs> Thank you, Sandy. That's fantastic. Um, why poetry opposed to something else, you know, like painting? Or... Well, I can't paint. I haven't got a visual bone in my body, but I love poetry. I always say that in poetry you can utter the unutterable, speak the unspeakable, say the unsayable and sense the insensible because poetry is about 
expand, expansion and contraction. You, you, you contract down to as few, fewer words as possible and expand that idea. So it's both um, saying a lot and saying a little in, um, in, in, a, in, a, in a few words, but those few words are massive. And I just love the poetic process. And, you know, I do write prose too, and I have written essays and, and obviously my memoir, which is all prose. But poetry has... Something about it, you have metaphors and images and you have, uh, um, you know, uh, allusions to things and you can draw on literary allusions. It's just a way of really looking at something from, from left field and making meaning out of it in, a, in your own unique voice. It's, it's about finding your own voice in, in the words that you choose to use and it's, it, the poetic moment is sort of, it's ineffable and you can't really talk about it without you know, without wondering what is poetry and how is it so powerful. But it's a very powerful medium. Uh, Thank you for that, Sandy. We're going to break for an an announcement, so stay tuned with Brainwaves. (coughs) I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm concerned about my loved one and need support for myself. I need someone to speak to, but I don't want to burden my family and friends. The experience of mental illness can be emotional, challenging and isolating, but you don't have to go through it alone. Hello, Helpline. Helpline is an information support and referral service. Our trained volunteers all have a personal experience of mental illness and are here to listen, understand and help. Our service is free, confidential and you can call us from Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm. If you have a mental illness, know someone who does, or just need someone to speak to, call Helpline on 84864222. That's 84864222. My fellowship is a 3CR supporter. So, Sandy, you, you've reflected on those uh, poems that uh, you say you don't have a visual bone in your body and you, you find expression <laughs> through, through, through your poetry. And um, have you got a, a, a preferred poem or a, a time when you were writing that, that, that stands out for you? Preferred time? What do, what do you mean by preferred time? Oh, I just uh, you've been doing it for, for 20 years now. Is there a time when it, it really uh, supported you and uh, stands out? Well, when, I think the, the time was when I, my first book was published and that, the way it changed my life okay. and gave me an identity because I think that was a pivotal time for me because when I – and also it, it did well in some prizes. It was uh, given a commendation in the Human Rights Awards and came second in the Anne Elder Poetry Award. This is Poems from the Madhouse. Second in the Anne Elder Poetry Award and uh, that was an award for a first volume of poetry by a poet and it was quite pre- prestigious. And that, for me, it validated my work. You know, it, it told me that my poems weren't duds, that, <laughs> that the book wasn't a dud and that people were getting something out of the book and responding to it. A lot of carers read my work. They find my poetry quite helpful for them to help them understand their loved ones, which is really good. A lot of, con- a lot of consumers read my stuff. Um, and also I use my poetry when I give public talks because I do a lot of public speaking about being crazy. I'm a public loony, as I say. And um, my poetry is often a vehicle to help the audience uh, understand the psychotic mind and I try and use it to help them come into that moment, you know, because when I give my talks it's all about, well, not just raising compassion, respect and understanding for the mentally ill but to I try and help the audience understand what being in a psychotic moment is about and how it feels to hear voices and have delusions. And, you know, it's important to help them understand these things so they can better understand 
someone they might meet in the street who they would, might be judgmental about. Sure, and it's a very, it sounds a very courageous thing for you to do, to stand up in front of those people and share those moments. No, I don't think it's courageous. Look, I've, I've just got a big fat mouth. It just runs, runs, it runs wild, you know. Um, I didn't know I could do this. I, I had a stutter when I was younger, and my speech was quite, was quite compromised. And I don't know how I found my voice, but back in the... 1980s, we, we all went out. Um, people like Simon Champ and Janet Maher and myself, we were among the first loonies to be out there publicly talking about having schizophrenia. Because I remember when I first went crazy in 76, I don't remember hearing anybody get up and publicly, publicly say, I have schizophrenia. It just wasn't done. So when we sort of started doing it in the, the middle to late 80s, it was new and it was confronting for the audience and it was confronting for us too. And um, it was important that we did it. And we didn't think that we were you know, doing important work back then, but we were because uh, that was the beginning of advocacy and um, and we've been doing and we still do it. But uh, I sort of wonder now what we achieved, what, if we've achieved anything with all this talking we've done. I really wonder whether we've just ignited more stigma. I don't know. We, I question my advocacy now and my role uh, in it, and I really question my relevance now too because I'm so old. I'm an old fart, you know. I've, I'm I'm getting older, and I've been around for I've been around forever, and I'm a relic. I'm a relic from the old days of Larundel. You know, that's my role now to be an historical marker for the old days. I think. You really do, are doing some fantastic work. Um, would you like to read us another poem? Yeah, I'll just read a poem called I Called You Mad. Uh, it, it's a, after a poem by Jeff Prince, who's a col- mad comrade of mine. I Called You Mad. I called you mad when you were spellbound to the full-throated voices of accusation and held captive by the ecstasy of untamed delusions. I called you mad when you lost yourself in dark melancholy, ordained to move as a silhouette over the world. I called you mad and damned you to your demons and sucked your soul dry with quackery and potions, then swept you under the carpet. I called you mad and cast you off on the ship of fools to roam the world in exile, condemned to be scorned and ridiculed. I will remember you because I called you mad in a moment of folly. You are only a fool in the eyes of the foolish. I called you mad. You will regret that. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Sandy, you say you've been an advocate for, for you know, schizophrenia and, and people you know, suffering from this illness. What would you say to someone today listening to the program? About but, schizophrenia? Oh, or just about your, your journey? Look, it's, it's, it's been a long journey and, and, you know, it hasn't been easy and, and I still live with my symptoms. I, I go to bed every night to my voices who hound and harass me and ridicule me. And, and I'll, I'll go home tonight and go to bed and they'll, they'll slag all I've done today and they'll say how hideous it was and that I'm worthless and whatever. Um, what do you say to someone? Look, my, my, what I say to people is that I, I had to actually come to terms with the fact that my friends weren't the enemy, my doctor wasn't the enemy, the, no, the people out there weren't the enemy. The enemy is the illness and that's what I have to fight. Not fight my friends, not get paranoid about them. I've got to fight the illness and, and try and get on, on on top of it and live with it. And what I've had to do is construct a life around my schizophrenia. And that's meant being on a pension, which I am. I've been on a pension for a long, long time. Um, it's meant trying to minimise the amount of stress in my life. It's meant, it's meant trying to just move around this illness in the best way I can to make it tolerable, tolerable to... to 
to be with. And uh, so I've been very lucky to have friends who have supported me big time. I live in a lovely home with um, three cats and a dog in the middle of the bush. It's beautiful. Uh, And I feel very privileged and lucky that my friends have stuck by me. I've been lucky that I haven't pushed them away. A lot of my mad comrades with my condition and diagnosis have no friends because they've somehow they've become become sort of separated from their friends and they've pushed them away or the the friends haven't been able to relate to them. Uh, it's been very difficult because when you are pushing people away because of your paranoia or because you're so cut off from the world, it's very hard to relate to someone who's in that state. And I can see why people drift away from them. I've been very lucky that my friends haven't abandoned me and I haven't abandoned them too. I've looked after my friendships because I know how important they are. So in that sense, that's what I've done. So uh, I've tried to maintain my friendships and not allow my illness to destroy them and that's really important. Sure. And Shannon's got a question for you, but I just wanted to, you to share, if you would, the name of your black cat with us, please. My, my black cat, it's Robert. It, well, he's, his one name is Robert, but he's a complete dud. So because he's such a dud, I thought I'd try and give him some self-esteem. So his full name is Robert Kevin Aloysius Fingal Dudley Farinelli Pompom Clary. <laughs> and what does he answer to when he's hungry? Robert. Right. Well, actually, we call, I call him Uncle Les at the moment. His Uncle Les, because he sort of paws you with his paw and he, he gets sleazy. He's gone all sleazy on me. So I call him Uncle Les as well. Poor Robert. He's, he's, a complete, he's a sham of a cat, but I love him. He's my dad. He's my dad. Um, just going back to your, you questioning yourself as an advocate, um, do you think there's more we could all do? And what are your ideas on that? Look, uh, well, I think one of the things I've done is I have not ashamed of who I am. I'm not, I'm, I'm not ashamed of my diagnosis or the label I carry. You know, schizophrenia has got so much baggage. My God, we're all associated with mass murderers and antisocial behaviour and, you know, really bad things. And um, so carrying this label has been difficult. So what can we do? What I do is say, I publicly say to people, I have schizophrenia and I'm not a monster. I'm just someone who happens to have the label and it's a horrible illness to live with. It's hell, it's awful. It's um, mental rape, I describe it as. But I think it's incumbent on us who are living with it to, to celebrate who we are and not be ashamed of our label and not be ashamed of people putting that label on us and, you know, and wanting to vilify us because of our label. Um, you know, I think it's important that we stand up and be counted and I think offer the world um, uh, an image, uh, well, someone, offer the world someone standing before them who is struggling with this illness but in spite of it is doing things and is celebrating who we are. You know, I don't want to be put down because of this thing that I carry. You know, people try to put you down but you, you have to rise up and say, no, I'm going to be here in your face and I'm going to say I have schizophrenia and you're going to listen to it and you're going to understand what it means um, because people need to understand the mind hell that we live with but also that we have something to offer to the world. We are human beings. Apart from anything else, we are human beings. We deserve and, uh, and should be given the respect and, and, and understanding and compassion that we, any human being gets. You know, we, we have to have who we, we have to have these things to be in the world and not shunned or forgotten. And I think I remind people that we can't be forgotten. Okay. Well, look, we're really pushed for time, Sandy, but just quickly, is there another book in the works? Uh, yes. I, well, I, well, this sort of is. I've been collecting, um, I've been interviewing people who had been patients and, and staff at La Rundle. So I've done about 70 interviews, um, nurses, patients, doctors, uh, ther- art therapists, you name it, I've done it. And I sort of want to 
eventually write up an oral history of La Rundle Psychiatric Hospital. Because when you say to people, I was in La Rundle, they go, what was that? People don't know that La Rundle existed, let alone where it was. It's out in Bandura next to um, La Trobe Uni. Now it's a, a ruin. It's all ruined. Uh, the, the, the buildings are all falling down. They've been bulldozed. There's a shopping centre on part of it. The gardens have gone. The beautiful gardens are so gone. And so uh, one day I hope to write my book about La Rundle, which will be called Alice in La Rundle Land. And the metaphor is there are two Alice's and two Alice holes, one for the staff and one for the patients, and there's a, a complete disconnect between the recollections of the staff and the recollections of the patients. The staff had a great time, they loved it, the patients mostly hated it. So that's my metaphor and, and my title. But if I write it one day, I, I don't know, I hope I do, but I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the concept at the moment because it seems overwhelming, the amount of work I've set myself but I think it's important to pay homage to La Rundle. It was a hellhole and it was a place of healing. Uh, thank you, Sandy, for coming on to our show and sharing your poetry and inspirational story with us. Thank you to the Brainwaves crew, Shannon and Mark. And you can listen to podcasts of our show at freecr.org.au and iTunes. Send us feedback, thoughts, or just get in contact, especially if you have a story, suggestions, or topic you'd like to share. Email us at brainwaves at mifellowship.org. Post to brainwaves at 3CR, PO Box 1277, Collingwood, Victoria, 3066. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in into 3CR next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves. Stay tuned for a Renegade Economist coming up next on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.